I would remind you of the hadith of the companion of the Prophet Sallallahu Abdullah, who was known to make the Prophet Sallallahu laugh. And what a beautiful relationship to have with the Prophet Sallallahu who was constantly uh, facing pressures uh, and, and difficulties to be able to have the relationship with him that you made him laugh and gave him some relief from that. But he also was constantly penalized for drinking. Mm. And uh, one time, one of the companions, while he was getting the punishment for drinking, you know, invoked Allah's curse on him and said, you know, how many times are we going to keep doing this? You just you drink, you come back, you drink, you come back, basically relapsing. And the Prophet said, He said, don't curse him because he loves Allah and his messenger. And in one version, he said, don't help shaitan against your brother. I mean, that's deep right there. That is incredible. Assalamu alaikum and welcome back to another episode of Talk Ya Haq, the podcast where we discuss the relevant topics impacting us, Muslim Western youth, to better connect with our faith, inshallah. Uh, I'm your host, Idris, and I'm joined here today with uh, Dr. Umar Hussein. Assalamu alaikum. How you doing? Wa alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Chillin, chillin. Glad to be here. Allahu Akbar. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. For those who do not know, uh, Dr. Umar Hussein holds a PhD in counselor education and supervision from the University of Texas at San Antonio. He is a licensed professional counselor associate and a licensed chemical dependency counselor. He is also a graduate from Al-Azhar University in Cairo, Egypt, where he attained a degree in Islamic studies and Arabic. He is currently an assistant professor here at Seattle uh, University, where he teaches master's level counseling courses, conducts research, and engages in service uh, both locally and nationally. Alhamdulillah, subhanAllah, uh, excellent resume you got there, beautiful, Allahu Akbar, uh, subhanAllah, and I'm glad to have you here to uh, discuss the relevant topic uh, of addiction. I know you came here uh, in the city, uh, you came here in the uh, masjid uh, here in Redmond and you talked about addiction and you cleared up a lot of things for us in the community but there was also some additional questions uh, so inshallah to start off I want to know like what subhanallah what got you in this position uh, in this field in particular I feel like subhanallah with you have a ground and footing in Islamic studies and as well as being a licensed chemical dependency counselor I mean what drove you to do this kind of work uh, specifically yeah um... So uh, first of all, I just want to, you know, uh, thank you and, and also give some give some credit to the community for speaking about the subject. Like I, I know, you know, we I don't want to say we have a low bar, but we had like no bar when it comes to some of these topics. So alhamdulillah right. that we are able to have a conversation about this. That is that is the start to inshallah lead people to get the help that they need. So this is a great. Great blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When I was a, uh, a, a young aspiring student of knowledge, I had a mentor at my local masjid. And uh, he was what they call a uh, LMFT, a licensed marriage and family therapist. And so he was, uh, he was, he had earned his master's and he was licensed um, through the university where I was living. And that was like a big deal because nobody did it. You know, back then there was like nobody doing it. Now there's like two people doing it. So, I mean, it's not like a whole lot's changed, but it's just, uh, it was very, um, very unusual at that time. Um, so I was speaking to him, you know, I'm going to go study and then what do I do when I come back? So he had told me that he said people would come to him and he's like, after a while, I just didn't have anything to give them. You know, people are coming to me with like hardcore marital issues and 
substance abuse and you know there's just uh, severe depression and he's like yes i can tell them to read this dua uh you know read nawafil which are important and part of the process but it's not sometimes it, it needs kind of more than that right so he decided to go and, and it was funny he told me he said you should do marriage and family therapy i said why is that he said because if you can deal with couples you can deal with anything Allah <laughs> so, Akbar. <laughs> I was like, interesting. Uh, but I didn't want to go that route. Although, of course, I work with couples. Uh, but I wanted to kind of go the mental health route, uh, you know, a little more a little more general and then kind of see what I liked. That's what I wanted to do. So Alhamdulillah, I came back from Egypt um, to, and I started serving my community in, in San Antonio, Texas. So I waited a year. Because you know you got to get the in-state tuition. I'm not paying those out of state. Not paying that out of state tuition. Um, right. And then I, I started a local program in counseling and guidance at Texas A&M in San Antonio. And uh, I remember the first class I took. So I go in there, small classes, and they're like, "Introduce yourself." So everybody kind of introduces themselves. Oh, my name is uh, you know Bob. I work at the methadone clinic. My name is Amy. I work at you know kind of a, a general story. And then it comes to me and I'm like, you know, my name is Omar and I'm a religious director at a, at a mosque here. And everybody's head kind of turns and looks over at me. <laughs> and uh, the instructor, he's like, oh, so you're an imam. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, my, my official title was religious director, but basically, yeah. And then he doesn't even hesitate. He's like, do you find a conflict between your religious beliefs and science? This is my first mm. question in graduate school. And I didn't even hesitate. I was like, no. And then he kind of pauses. He's like, yeah, you know, I don't think I do either. And this guy was like hardcore humanist. And I still keep in touch with him. He became like a mentor to me. It's just, it's funny because he doesn't believe any, doesn't have belief in faith. But I think, and this is important, particularly for your audience, he respected me that I had believed with conviction in what I believed in. Like, you don't, mm. I mean, may Allah guide everyone, right? But it's like, he respected me for what I believed. And that was good enough for me. And that's why that relationship has carried on, alhamdulillah. So from there, I started taking the classes. And what was awesome is because I was in the masjid as well, I could kind of take what I learned and take it directly to the community. Because let's right. be honest, when you're on the member and somebody's talking about addiction or pornography or alcohol, yeah, it community may be receptive, not sure, but when the imam is doing it with that background, there's just kind of a level of comfort and sort of trust, right? Mm -hmm. If we're being honest. And so I could bring those. I would I did topics like uh, the 12, the Muslim 12 steps, you know, 12 steps. For those who aren't familiar, this is a very, very common system used for addictions uh, in the U.S. And it, it started, kind of started Christian-based, and then they made it more sort of general and spiritual. So I kind of molded it into like, and I, and I gave those, and they were well-received. Um, but, you know, I was only able to do that because of kind of being able to reach the community through the religious side as well. So I continued to do that and uh, really enjoyed it and then decided to go for a doctorate, alhamdulillah, went for that. And all the while just kind of kept doing what I could to con convey the message to the community. Um, and then now, alhamdulillah, I'm, I'm teaching it in the university, but 
you know, staying connected to the community, which was always really my ultimate goal. So here right. having this conversation with you now. Allahu Akbar, subhanAllah. You know, it's crazy how I only recently came across your work. You know, I joined like the course uh, Inside Out. I also interviewed, mm-hmm. alhamdulillah, Sister Sara Sultan, which uh, you yeah. taught alongside her and uh, Sheikh Umar Suleiman. And Subhanallah, I was going through your your module in particular. You were talking about the uh, Islamic history and the Islamic context of mental health, right? You talked about a lot about how the Muslim community tends to act like we were not amongst the pioneers in this field. And you talked about uh, Subhanallah. I know you mentioned uh, facilities in which the Muslims had created, right? The type the type of services we used to provide for those who are struggling with mental illness in our lands centuries and centuries ago. Subhanallah. And when you, you know, today, when you talk about the issues surrounding mental health and addiction and major problems within our communities, sometimes you're faced with that, um, that taboo or that hesitancy or that shame that's associated with it. And I know you said something that really resonated with me uh, in, your, uh, t- uh, in the lecture that you provided here, as you said, when people come to you uh, w- with their addictions, what they don't need at that time and space is a khutbah on why something is, or the nature of something being haram, what they need is your help and support. And I'm curious, why, why is that true for you and true in the field, especially when you're dealing with people who are addicted? SubhanAllah. Yeah. You know, it's just, you know, are, are we going to push people further away or are we going to try to, mm. you know, lend a helping hand? Uh, the reason they don't need, uh, you don't, we don't just need to pile on them. I mean, if, if they're coming in the first place, they've already accepted, they already know that what they did was wrong. Mm. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Someone's coming for help and you're pushing them away. I, I don't understand, right? They're reaching out for help. And if it was other issues, we'd be more than happy, right? But when you have a stigma attached to it, or you're in denial about it. Uh, denial is a river in Egypt. I've spent many years over there, right? But it shouldn't be something in our communities where we just think that it doesn't, something doesn't exist. Well, let's just pretend it doesn't exist. So it doesn't make any sense that we would just push them away. Um, and, you know, over my years of work, you just develop more empathy for people. You don't know their circumstances. You don't know what they're facing at home. This is really, this was strange for me because Sometimes in a masjid setting, I know things that other community members don't. And I'm not, obviously, I'm not going to tell them there's a confidentiality, but, you know, people say things, I can't believe this person's like this, or I haven't really seen them. It's like, you have no idea what they're going through. Mm-hmm. You have no, no idea. And so if we don't, if we're not there to offer that helping hand, then I just don't know. They're just never going to improve, right? And that will distance them from the community. Um, I mean, may Allah protect us all, but in, in, in the worst case scenario, distance them from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is the last thing that we want, mm. right? Imagine us on the day of judgment coming and it's like, well, you pushed this person away. It's like, well, mm. how did I push them away? Well, they came off, they, they came for help. They asked for help and, you know, you, for, for whatever reason, uh, you didn't help. So that's, uh. It's a heavy burden on us as a community, uh, but I think it's about mm. time we accept that. Subhanallah, that that part I want to like emphasize. I want to like I want to go back and, and elaborate on this issue. I feel like a lot of us, uh, Subhanallah, in the community, we hold a a view of people 
who suffer uh, with addiction in a, obviously a, ne a negative light, viewing this person as oh, it's inherently flawed or a bad person, not knowing the circumstances in which this person uh, is in, right? And I re I'm really curious, I know uh, in your experience, what pushes people uh, to use uh, you know, substances that they become addicted to, what are some of those circumstances that many of the, those Muslim uh, individuals find themselves in to rely on substances, right, to, to fill that, that void? So there's, there's different circumstances, but let me, you know, when we talk about having empathy for people, right. you will have cases where someone has, is in, in an accident or something like that, right? So they, they're given painkillers at the hospital mm -hmm. or they're given a prescription medicine. And it could be out of neglect. It could be just out of how their body responds that they become addicted to the painkillers. These are perfectly normal, good people who became mm -hmm. addicted to these painkillers. They were not out in a dark corner looking for dealers they were not trying to get high. They, they had nothing to do with this. I mean, how could we push somebody away who was in this situation? So sometimes you have this um, really under no, there's nothing they could really control in that particular case. Um, and neglect could be sometimes, you know, the doctor is careless in the prescriptions that they're writing. You know, that's, that's a reality. I'm not saying all or even the majority, but it happens. It absolutely happens. Um, where they're just totally careless with what they're prescribing and the amount they're prescribing, and the you know the patient ends up forming an addiction. So that's one way. Sometimes, you know, uh, not uh, generally speaking, the Muslim community does well as a community in America, right? In the American context, Alhamdulillah. Yes, there are struggles, no doubt. I'm not dismissing that, but I'm just speaking sort of generally. And sometimes when things are easy you, you kind of get bored mm. and um, you know you're just kind of like you know you didn't really have to work right your dad worked and built the business right mm. your mom was at right. the store all day when you were growing up and so uh, you know maybe we had a little bit easier and so now you're going maybe to a school that your parents weren't able to go to but they want you to go and in that school, everyone's in the sort of same circumstances. Like we don't really have to do much or we have things a little bit easier. And so sometimes the test of ease might be more difficult than when you don't have much. And so then you start experimenting and it's like, yeah, you know, I tried this. I was offered it at some party or something like that. And then it could just be one dumb mistake, right? Maybe I, maybe I shouldn't go. Peer pressure is real, right? Come on, just come for a few right. minutes. Maybe you just kind of went, you're like, like I got to get out of here. Whatever the case may be, but maybe you try something that night and, you know, that ends up happening. Um, mm. Sometimes there could be underlying issues that are not being resolved. And so people try to turn to something to kind of numb the pain. Right. So um, dysfunctional relationships with your with, with family, with parents, with a spouse. Um, with siblings and so people kind of go in there they're like how can i how can i improve things how can i make this better right so maybe they start drinking right maybe they're in an environment mm -hmm. where uh, drugs alcohol are the norm right so 
to kind of get involved in that. Um, nowadays, I mean, we grow up with the internet, right? Maybe for, for some mm -hmm. of us, most of our life, we had the internet. For others, 100% of their life, they had the internet. There's no, there's nothing else. So you have access to things like gaming and porn and, and gambling. It's just, you know, so curiosity and then you kind of get, and then you're, but then we, we, we're so ashamed about it. You can't be like, hey, I, I saw these images or, you know, I was doing this. And then you just kind of keep doing it and doing it and then it spirals out of control. That's why the best prevention is, is early education. But if we don't allow the, the spaces to be open to have conversation, then, right. you know, we're, we're, we're part of the problem. So. Mm. Subhanallah. Wow. Subhanallah. Even within that statement that you, that statement that you just uh, discussed and you broke down for us, I feel like we can even go deeper into that. I feel like when you mention early prevention, I mean, I was born and raised out here and uh, a lot of the stuff that you mentioned, <laughs> just bring it back memories of how to back in high school, back in middle school. It's like a lot of like we're just innocent kids. And then suddenly it's like that's taken from us. Right. When we talk about uh, peers who are uh, already into whatever they're into or they're trying to pressure you to get into uh, whatever they're doing. Right. And it's like that. I think that fear of being ostracized and it makes you, it just makes you want to join the hurt. You don't want to, especially as a Muslim, we're already minoritized, right? So you think about that. So it's like the need to be accepted by the majority and the majority of people are not, you know, Muslims, uh, conservative, the whole strong value, Islamic values. And so what is the role of parents and, and families and, and religious leaders in cultivating that strong values? And what does that prevention look like? I'm curious about that in your experience. So I think, you know, uh, may Allah bless our parents. They, they did the yeah. best they could. They continue to do the best. Um, and I think a lot of us, as we get older, start to have our own kids, we realize the challenges and we just appreciate them more. So I don't take this uh, attitude of like, well, you know, everything was wrong. Let's just tear it down and fix it, right? Mm -hmm. We just try to improve generation to generation. So our parents' generation, may Allah reward them. They built the masajid. They built the, the, the halal meat stores. They built the schools. Uh, they were not perfect, and they continue to not be perfect. But we don't need to build another masjid now. We mm -hmm. need to kind of tighten up the structure. We kind of need to see what's going on, right? So we just kind of, uh, that's what we should kind of look at is like, okay, how do we sort of improve the process? So what I'm seeing, alhamdulillah, is a lot of younger parents. So those who are kind of raised, born and raised in this environment, now they got young kids. I think they, they just see a deeper sense, uh, a necessity to connect more to their kids. And I can't emphasize that enough because if you can connect with your kids from a younger age, then you open up doors of communication. Um, my dad, may Allah preserve him, uh, I could speak to him about anything. And that is very rare amongst the friends I had growing up. So we would talk about, you know, if I got a 98, why I should have gotten a 99. We would have those conversations. We would also talk about um, why the Lakers lost to the Spurs, okay? And and a lot of, a lot of people just didn't have. It, there's just communication, 
that we could speak about. Nothing was forced. Nothing was, there was no two-faced, oh, I'm one way at school and one way. Yes, there were pressures. Yes, there were difficulties. That's part of life and growing up. But there was there was an openness to speak about it. Mm. So just having those connections at a, at a basic level, not putting them in some course about what addictions are and what premarital sex is and all. No, just having a connection and teaching the principles that we have because technology moves at the speed of light and it just changes mm -hmm. and changes and you try to block one thing and something else comes up. It's just not, it's just not possible to, 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 to always just be around. Even if you're able to do that, what happens if they go off to college, man, crazy stories about when people go off to college, right? Yeah, so if we can just build those connections, spending time, prioritizing, the quality is more important than the quantity, right? Um, right now in the pandemic, not all, but many people that there's an opportunity to work at home. You can have lunch with your kids, you know, pick them up from school, whatever. These little things go a long way. And a lot of times when parents come to me and their kids have issues with addiction, it's kind of like, how's your relationship with the family? And we find it's often, often it's poor. So that is like mm. the, the number one thing <clears throat> as for those who, you know, are thinking about marriage are, and, and thinking down the future to kind of start that before um, it, it gets anywhere. At the at the leadership level, <clears throat> I'm seeing more more imams receptive uh, to mental health care, uh, so that's positive. Uh, but you know the, the the community kind of makes the decision, right? There's the boards, and then there's others like demand from the community, and we are still short on resources. Uh, there are still people that think like, well, we have one imam. What's the problem? It's like, dude, you got. 5,000 people at Jummah and you have this massive community. This is not a one-person job. Where is the assistant imam? Where's the youth director? Where's the female youth director? Where's the mental health counselor? This is where we should be moving towards. Yes, the chandelier is nice, but it's all good. We can light it with something else, right? Let's prioritize people. That's what we can do as a community um, and open up those conversations. So that will get us moving. Alhamdulillah, right. you know, you're your community there, which, you know, will now be mine, inshallah, as well. Inshallah. Uh, I, we'll I welcome you with open arms, inshallah. Looking forward to it. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. Uh, I, I can definitely, you know, it, it's just a different mentality there. And, and I think there's some promise. Um, but, you know, other communities need to kind of just understand where we need to go. And we need to be investing in people um, and investing in resources with the challenges that we have now. And also not just the challenges, like just to build strong, confident Muslims. Um, in the right. environments that we have. So that's those are some things to prioritize at sort of the the macro level for the community. Right, right. SubhanAllah, SubhanAllah. That is uh, that is so true, SubhanAllah. I, I know a lot of people within our communities who are struggling tremendously. So for someone like you to be coming here, inshallah, and uh, more like-minded individuals, inshallah, to bring uh, their expertise in the field, inshallah, I think that would be tremendously helpful. But SubhanAllah, I want to go ahead and uh, dive into this part that you said, was, which was your relationship that you had uh, with your father that facilitated a sense of like openness, transparency, in which you were able to express yourself. And uh, I wonder why and what about that stops kids from 
you know, go ahead and experiment with these other things. What about that dynamic? And also, I know that you talked about your trip because uh, I know you got a scholarship uh, here. Of, I mean, not a scholarship here, but I think it was Chicago playing tennis. Was it something right. like that? Right. Yeah. Right. And, and subhanAllah, and I'm assuming that there was a lot of fitna in that circumstance. And, <laughs> you know, you're, you're not with your community. So I'm wondering, how did that trans that relationship you had with your father, how did that translate into the sense of being grounded in your values. I'm, I'm interested to hear more about that. Yeah. Well, first and foremost, uh, of course we acknowledge that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who has ultimate control over everything. Mm-hmm. That's right. why you will see kids growing up in terrible Islamic environments who are the most pious of Muslims. I remember one brother in our community I was explaining, he, he went to, to study Arabic, and I was explaining to the instructor, I was like, you know, he, he's, got a, he's got a little gangsta in him. <laughs> so mm. That's exactly what I, I was like. But, like, just understand the circumstances. Just, mm. and, and then I kind of explained. And you know what he said to me? He said, subhanAllah. So you're telling me he's like the Ibrahim of his family. I was like, mm. Allahu Akbar. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'm saying. The circumstance, mm-hmm. it was impossible on paper for him to be doing what he was doing or have the iman that he did. That was up to Allah mm-hmm. subhanahu wa ta'ala. On the other hand, we see wonderful, wonderful families who did everything right and they're, they're, they're tested. They just don't understand. How can my, how does my daughter not believe in Islam? She was... Mm. Went to all the right schools, said all the right. We just don't understand where did this come from, right? So that's mm-hmm. a tremendous test, and they could have done everything right. So it's up to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala at the end of the day. Though I should not just become a a routine exercise with no feeling. I think there's so much wisdom. There's so many beautiful du'as of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam to go through various so ones. You can't get bored of the du'as. So that's that's always the first point we want to emphasize. <clears throat> When it came to um, you know some of the positive things, I think uh, I often joke with my brothers, although I'm half joking. I'm like, I think my dad was a psychologist, even though he was an engineer. But I was like, I think maybe he was doing like a side hustle or something. He understood the personality of each of his kids, and I don't think mm. that a lot of parents do that, or they say like, "You need to be like this one. You need to be like this one." Why don't you do this? Look at your sister. She does this. Look at your brother. He does this. So mm. he didn't do that. Right? He didn't do that. Um, so we're, we're three brothers. My eldest is very, you know, extrovert. My youngest, extrovert. Youngest brother. I'm an introvert. You know, people don't believe that. <laughs> but I really <laughs> am. And when the three of us get together... <laughs> I'm just kind of in retreat mode and they're just kind of doing, I almost feel like a relief. I'm like, alhamdulillah, I don't have to say anything. <laughs> you know? I got these guys with me. Um, but, but he treated, so, he, tra- so he, he knew that knowing that I was an introvert, he would give me opportunities to speak in environments I was comfortable with. So when he would, for example, um, well, I, I lived on campus when I was going to school at the University of Illinois, Illinois, Chicago. He would pick me up on his way home from work. And we would have an hour or so drive back. And he's like, you know, you remember those drives? I'm like, yeah. He's like, who did the talking? I was like, I did. Like almost nonstop. He's like, yeah. I wanted to give you that opportunity. There was nobody around. There was nobody pressuring you. People always say, you need to talk more, you know. 
your brother speaks so much, you know, you're going to get left behind because you don't say enough and all that. So he, you know, understanding the nature of each child and giving those opportunities. And, you know, that mm-hmm. was just one example. So understanding your kids and understanding kind of what works and, and kind of also taking part in their interests. Right now, my dad is into sports, so it helped, but he, like, he wasn't faking things that I was into. Right. Like I know he, when we played video games and stuff, like he, he didn't care about video games. He's kind of thinking to himself, like, you know, why aren't you studying? Right. But, uh, you know, it, it wasn't like you're not going to play anything. Right. Or you're just going to just sit in your room and study all that. Cause he knew that wasn't realistic. Right. So having a little bit of flexibility. So yes, there was strictness in terms of, uh, academics, uh, there was strictness in terms of sort of our values and morals as we're going through middle school, high school, dating, and all this kind of stuff that's coming up. But I think because there was uh, a little flexibility and 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 understanding our nature, it worked well as a combination. So I would really, really stress that you know to uh, you know take interest in things maybe you're not interested in, right? Don't just randomly say things, you know. Like I was, I was kind of into shoes. You know, at the time, and I'm sure it's like, you need $140 for shoes or something. <laughs> like, what, do you, what do you need that for? It's just like, come on, man. I, 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 play, I play basketball, you know, these are like the latest ones, you know, I got to get these. And it's like, okay, you know, not making a big deal out of it and stuff like that. So the other thing uh, that I would say is they didn't over compliment or over praise. That was, mm. again, these are things I see later. I'm like, subhanAllah. They, so you know what that did? When they did praise, it meant something. It really meant something, right? So I remember one time I was, uh, it was an eighth grade summer league. And uh, I was tearing it up, mashallah. You know, I, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't miss that whole summer league season. It was me. I was, I was the two. And then there was, we had a, a point guard. The two of us were just like 80% of the team's offense, right? We were like the big two, right, before, before the big three. And, Gosh. you know, you, you, you finish, all the team moms and families, man, he does so well and stuff. Sometimes my dad wouldn't say anything, right? I knew he was watching. I knew he was paying attention. I knew he knew my shot attempts and all that because, you know, he had that math brain going. I knew... All of that. So I knew he cared. It's not like I didn't think he didn't care. He wasn't trying to do like, you know, pretending he's not interested. But he didn't, mm. you know, he didn't be like, man, you played really, really well, like every single time, right? Because mm. there's going to be highs and lows in that season. And he knew that, right? But the couple of times he did, I was like, yeah, yeah. You know, it really meant something. And I noticed this was a greater thing with my grandmother. You know, may Allah give her speedy recovery. She's having some health issues at the moment. I, uh, I wasn't like, and my brothers, we weren't spoiled little grandkids, you know, just like, mm. uh, just like giving stuff behind our mom's back or, you know, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, we didn't always behave the best. I mean, there's, that, I think that's part of life, but we weren't like spoiled and just, you know, give them everything and, uh, you know, ignore what their parents wishes. No, that was, that was never the case. So not over praising. Because then it was more meaningful, you know, when they, when they would, uh, when they would praise. And then, and I, I could go on and on, but just for time's sake, I think leading by example, 
Um, I, I always say, you know, my Islamic manners or whatever, it's all for my parents. Didn't come from Al-Azhar, didn't mm-hmm. come from my wonderful teachers. May Allah reward them all. Uh, you know, I, I avoid lying because that's what I saw my parents doing. You know, one thing, mm. sometimes, you know, people will, will uh, buy something, wear it once and then return it, right? Sometimes you'll see this. Right. And what's the first thing they ask you when you return it? Did you wear it? Mm. Right. And most people say, oh, no. So, right. right. So you'll have friends, Muslim. Yeah. Did you do? Just buy it. And just, they'll ask you, just be like, no. Right. Oh, yeah. We can sneak you into mm. the, to the Y for basketball. Well, I don't have a membership. No, mm. we can sneak you in. It's all good. So wh- why was that so instilled that I wasn't going to do that? Because my dad. Because right. he didn't do stuff like that. He didn't do it the shady way. Even though many around would do that, right? And I think a lot of your audience would be like, yeah, true, true. You know? <laughs> yep, for sure. <laughs> like, yeah, I remember my uncle. I remember my friends. Muslims I'm talking about, right? right? But he didn't do that. And it just, he never sat me down and said, you know, there's a hadith about telling the truth or about, you know, he, it, wasn't, it wasn't that. Mm. Not that that doesn't have value, of course, but it was just, and my mom didn't do that either. You know, they didn't use foul language. So it's, it's that example. You know, the, the number one thing the kids copy is the parents' example. And they are looking at it. I see that now with my kids. Um, even though they're, you know, my eldest is two and a half. But, man, they copy everything. It's scary sometimes what they're copying. Um, but leading by example, you know, because they're going to do things. Like, another simple thing. Um, back in the days when we had phones in the house. Somebody calls the phone. Hey, is you know is your dad there? So, hey, it, it, you know it's so and so. I'll tell him I'm not here. Mm. You know, simple little thing. Okay, what kind of message are you sending to the child? Right? If I attempted to do that, whatever. No, no, no. Take a message. He'll call you back. He can't get to the phone at the moment, but he's he he's here. None of this. He's not here. That's a lie. He might be tied right. up at the moment doing something. Just that subtle little thing, right? Most people be like, what's the big deal? It is a big deal. So that leading by example really, you know, that made a, a big, big difference um, in, in the way and being raised. And so that I took all, a lot of those things when I did go off to college and basically had unlimited freedom to do anything at any time with anyone that I wanted, which is what, even if you live at home, you're going to be able to do that in college. When you are on campus, it's magnified. Sometimes parents ask, should I send my kids off to college? Depends on the nature of the kid. Some, you know, your middle one might be perfect. Your youngest, eh, maybe not. So, you know, we got to look at that too. You don't want them to lose opportunities just because you're like paranoid. But I carried those with me, you know, when I went. So, uh because they were instilled from that young age. And if that wasn't there, then, you know, perhaps it would have been even more difficult. But when those challenges came, and they were, I'm not dismissing the level of challenges, but you're, you're so grounded in, in who you are that it just makes it easier to get through. You know, the believer is, it just goes back to the tree example, right? If the roots are firm, the wind's going to blow. And it's going to blow sometimes, and it'll bl- sometimes it'll really blow you to the left. The roots won't come out, right? Mm-hmm. So the challenges will be there, and so you know that kind of having those things 
will will help later on. Subhanallah, the leading by example part. Subhanallah, just jazakallah khair for like emphasizing that part so strongly for our audience because as our generations, you know, start to get older and maybe start looking into finding a spouse, inshallah, choosing you know the best spouse that they can find to be you know the parent. To their to their child, just thinking about maybe how we want to uh, raise uh, our children. Subhanallah, it's, it sounds like you had some subhanallah excellent models to exemplify, uh, not only just to preach the deen to us, but also to instill it through their own actions, right? Like alhamdulillah, uh, I'm, a, I'm a, I happen to be a young uh, father, so alhamdulillah, uh, so, so yeah, so he's a, he's a young guy, he's about a year and a half, and he's just copying me. He's all his eyes is fixated on me, <laughs> seeing what I'm gonna do, and it just. It's just that point about it's not as much about what you say. A lot of the parents, they rely on their what they say versus what they do. And I really think that they a lot, many, uh, many don't realize the power of their actions. You know, I had I had guests here like uh, Qadi Ahmed. He's a he's a renowned Quran reciter here uh, in the Muslim community. He resides in Minnesota, but he even talked about the role of his parents. He talked about how his father every time after Fajr reading the Quran, um, reading a minimum of a juz every every morning, and what that did for him was it that instilled in his mind the value of this Quran, the value of this deen. And it's just it's just so beautiful it's just to have two people to speak with and hear about how their parents or how their upbringing has informed uh, what they do now. But subhanAllah, I, I'm interested in coming uh, at this a little bit of a different angle. A lot of us youth, we struggle with certain behaviors, right? Um, you mentioned one, uh, video games popped up. You mentioned pornography. You mentioned other, there's other things like uh, unhealthy eating, um, things of that sort, right? And I'm curious, uh, what differentiates an unhealthy behavior from uh, a full-blown addiction? And what is addiction like characterized by? How can we know the difference between the two? Yeah, uh, that's an excellent question. Uh, you know, to keep it just a simple uh, way of looking at things is that if you are involved in an action that is having a major impairment in an area of your life, mm -hmm. then that might be something to, to think about in terms of whether it's an addiction. So for example, uh, you are showing up late every day to work. Mm. Okay. Uh, you've been disciplined at work. You are isolating. Like you're super social and now you just don't feel like going out, right? With people that you're close to. Um, if you're if you're in a if you're married, just just total disconnect from the spouse, emotionally, physically, everything involved. This is important because a lot of times the person who is having an addiction doesn't realize it or will admit it. In fact, this is probably more common. So for families to see this, if you have a family member who is just staying in their room for hours on end and isn't coming out, mm -hmm. that is a sign of, a, of, an, of an addiction or some, some serious, something serious going on, right? That's mm -hmm. absolutely a sign. If you're a straight A student, you know, friend, all of a sudden is barely showing up to class and barely getting mm -hmm. by. That's cause for concern. So these are major things that are being changed by some behavior that could be 
alcohol, could be drugs, could be gambling, could be what it could be a plethora of things that you had mentioned. Mm. So that's different than behavior uh, or, or having just kind of trouble with behavior. So in that, you won't necessarily see the major sort of uh, major impacts on life. Now, some people in an addiction can still function really well. Uh, so that's, again, this is just a general thing to look for. But if you, for example, if you know that your best friend is doing drugs or is mm -hmm. drinking, you know that problem is there. So that means that they're in denial, even if they're able to function at a very high level. So if you're absolutely certain and you're seeing a repeated pattern, then that would definitely be you know, an addiction. A behavior, uh, so if we take the issue of pornography, which is very common, that comes up. If you are watching, some people try to de define it by time. Okay, if you're watching two hours a day, then it's classified as an addiction. I don't really like those I think it's too rigid, right? But again, look at what's the impact it's having on your life. If you mm. are up late now, you used to pray Fajr all the time, and now you can't get up for Fajr. And now you're not making ghusl, okay? Mm. Then you are kind of getting in that, like, you need help. You need help. Right. Um, a lot of times when we diagnose disorders, we'll put mild, moderate, severe. So there's different levels as well. So it could be something mild, but it's enough to disrupt your life because you're not able to pray Fajr or you're not able to, you know, do things that you normally would. So look at that. Now, if you are watching, let's say, 20 minutes a week, I, I certainly wouldn't say that's an addiction. I think that's just a, that's a bad habit that can be. And that still can cause problems in life. I'm not downplaying it, but that can be overcome. Right. I wouldn't call that an addiction mm. necessarily. Again, not downplaying, but if you're drinking once every two months at a party, and let's say you have a beer or two, not I'm not talking about binge drinking, which can be lethal. Uh, mm. Again, I wouldn't consider that an addiction. It's a bad habit that can be stopped, but I wouldn't consider it an, an addiction. The problem in our community is, is whether it's that habit or whether it's an addiction, we don't really have resources or support for it, which is a shame because if someone... Mm. slipped up a few times it's a whole lot easier to help them than when it becomes a full-blown addiction and if if, if mm. nobody remembers anything from this podcast if they could just remember that that those kind of people on the fence or on the mild side we could really help them with the early prevention rather than waiting till it becomes a full-blown sort of addiction um so both are present in the community um, but that's just sort of one way to decipher. You know, if you did something bad one time, you're not addicted to it. If you find yourself doing it over and over again without a major impact on your life, you know, those things can be overcome. One of the things I, I just tell people is um, you can practice this, this kind of from the hadith of the Prophet where he said, follow a sin with a good deed, right? Uh, it wipes it clean. And it doesn't make sense because a lot of times after after committing a sin, shaitan wants us to go into desperation and not remember Allah. And the wisdom mm. here of the Prophet ﷺ is that no, don't make you make your tawbah and then do something good to remove it. Mm. So a sort of uh, like a self-penalty behavior modification. So for example, let's say you curse a lot. 
right? You curse a lot. So you, you get your little curse jar there. You say every time I, right. next time I swear, I'm going to put, you know, 20 bucks in the jar, right? Mm. And so you, you start to do that. Now, after a while, it's going to get real expensive to keep, to keep cursing, right? So right. now you're, you follow that up. Now you take that money and you, you know, give it in donation. And then shortly you start to program your brain to kind of get off that behavior. If you don't have money, you, you say, I'll fast, right? There's, there's always ways, things that you can, you can do. Um, so then that will help you again to kind of modify the behavior. When you are in a full blown addiction, then there's going to need to be some professional help. You know, if, mm-hmm. when it comes to, for example, drugs, there, there's an element of detox, which might be very much necessary. Um, you also have to be careful because, uh, for, you know, in alcohol, we know sometimes if you just stopped, you would die because the body has become wow. so accustomed to the poison, basically. Right. So now, again, that's in like a hardcore addiction. That's not someone who's casually right. drinking every couple of weeks and they say, oh, well, I need, you know, I can't just stop or I'm going to die. No, that, <laughs> that's not the case. That's right. in serious sort of addiction. So. Um, so those are just, you know, some things to keep in mind that you may need that. You're going to need help. You're going to need support. One of the biggest factors of people maintaining long-term abstinence or sobriety is support. And that's kind of our mm-hmm. thing is the Ummah. We're supposed to, we're supposed to be the support people. So right. that's important to keep that, you know, keep that in mind that support is really going to determine a lot of success uh, when it comes to a variety of different addictions. Right. Subhanallah. When you talk about the variety of addictions, you talked about, uh, I, I want you to kind of like categorize the two because I know that you uh, highlighted in the lecture you gave us was the difference between like substance addictions and uh, process addictions. And I think this is something that not a lot of us have this clear distinction. And I know you mentioned pornography and I know you categorize that as a process addiction when you talked about that. So how do, I mean, the, the, let's say the person who's not really well-versed in like the human brain and things of that sort, how can something like substances have the same impact or the same impact as something like pornography or, or uh, video games? H- how is that able to happen where we're not taking in some kind of chemical, but rather it's just these behaviors, right? So what, what is that, that process addiction? Can you highlight that a little bit? Sure. Yes. There's, there's, First, to keep it simple, there's basically two types of addiction. There's substance abuse, um, and then there's what we call process addiction. Substance abuse, drugs, alcohol, you know, opioids, marijuana, mm-hmm. anything that you put in your body. Process addictions are a process which is done, which is not something physically in your body, but what we've found when we look at like brain scans is it has the same effect on the brain. And it's this mm-hmm. idea of your brain feels a reward. And it's flooded with the reward, so it wants to keep repeating the behavior. So that sip of alcohol leads to another sip, leads to another, and then leads to more drinking. In the same way, even though we're not putting something inside, uh, you think of the gambler on the machine, right? And they're at the slot machine, and something lights up, and, and, and the brain is, oh, this is exciting. And it wants to keep doing that and keep doing that. So... A lot of times they function almost in the same way, which is pretty fascinating. Um, and so the approach 
you know, it's the same seriousness when it comes to the approach in terms of, you know, so there are, there are support groups for alcohol. There's support groups for, you know, um, for process addiction. Process addiction is the most common one that we're familiar with is gambling. Gambling is a classified disorder. Um, others now that we're seeing more and more are things like video gaming, right? Mm-hmm. Where, again, people just hours and hours of video game nonstop, right? Doesn't matter what else is happening in life. Um, pornography, social media. These are, again, the, uh, the social media people, man, they are, they're deceptive. You know, they want you to stay on the phone. They don't, you know, mm-hmm. why did screen time come out like now? Why wasn't it there in the beginning? You know, they want you on there, right? They want you on Mm -hmm. there. And they know, they know how the brain works and the reward system and dopamine and the high. Now, um, when we're exercising, we also get these highs, but it's a healthy outlet. It's a healthy way to release things, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Also, this reward can also be positive, you know, sometimes um, in prayer, right? When you're really into your prayer, right? Or you are, uh, you know, really into you're getting into a surah or something it's really resonating with you so it's not just a totally negative thing it's just that these artificial things like the drugs um or 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 gambling when it comes to non-artificial they're just taking it to a level which is not healthy or sustainable for a human being and so it leads us to do things that we wouldn't normally do and it just you know people aren't in their right frame of mind. You think, how in the world could you, uh, how, you know, you, 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 your marriage ended in divorce, right? You've lost your job because of your pornography addiction. How is that possible, right? How did you blow your entire retirement fund gambling in mm. one weekend? Like, it doesn't make sense logically because that's what it does. It, it just floods the brain with these feelings. And so... We need to intervene and help the brain to kind of slow down and modify the behaviors. So both of these types, whether it's physical substance or not, they can have the same effects. And there's some debate when it comes to like technology and social media and pornography, but it's like it harms so many lives. Like we need to provide solutions instead of just kind of debating something endlessly. So that's that's certainly the camp that I'm in, trying to be in. SubhanAllah. SubhanAllah. May Allah give you success in that in that path and may Allah uh, support you in that, inshallah. Uh, so I, I have a, a interesting question, inshallah. I know we have about 10 minutes left, but I'm curious about, uh, there's a lot of people, uh, especially in the younger generation who are maybe, you know, digging for particular fatwas and, you know, uh, they're searching for the permissibilities of some intoxicants. I know you mentioned this in some lectures that you've given in the past. And, you know, someone who studied in Al-Azhar University, Alhamdulillah, in Cairo, and well-versed in some Islamic studies and as well as, you know, research here in terms of intoxicants. I'm curious, like, what does the dean say about intoxicants? Things like marijuana, you know, I know that's a big one uh, with it being legalized and, you know, the youth uh, experimenting with this drug in particular. And, uh, yeah, so I'm just curious, what does the dean tell us about intoxicants, right? And what does maybe some, what have you found that have maybe, like, subhanAllah, uh, blown you away in terms of the research that you've interacted with? Yeah, you know, what... uh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes 
alcohol and gambling is ritz. Ritzum in Armenian Shepard, like a, a filth, I guess would be one way we can translate that. Uh, alcohol is nothing but a legal drug. And the effects of it in other substances, they can change over time, but we have the same principle of what intoxicates in a small amount is forbidden in, 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 in any amount, right? Because some people are like, oh, I can handle one beer and I don't get drunk. That's not the point. You're trying to protect, protect society. Not everybody can do that. Um, when it comes to, so I don't think anyone debates that. I don't think uh, that they're trying to say that alcohol is not haram. There's some discussion about like, um, you know, in medicines and stuff like that. But those, I think, th those are genuine questions which are not related to just drinking and, and, and getting drunk. The one that uh, that's often popped up, maybe the only one, seems to be marijuana, right? Um, you're really digging if you're trying to, to make this halal, right? Um, I, what I've seen in my work in, in addictions, um, you'll often hear marijuana is a gateway drug. I do believe that. I mm. do believe that. It's not uncommon to see marijuana and something else, right? Um, we do know that it does have alter, you know, they're, they're saying, oh, it makes you more chill and, and things like that, but that's, that's not always a positive thing, right? That doesn't make it a positive thing. And so I, I, I just, I, I don't like to get into these debates about is it haram or not? I, I don't, I don't, and I don't want to judge people's intentions. I don't think the intentions are sincere when those are asked, those questions are asked. I think you can find plenty of fatawa that can tell you what the ruling of marijuana is. So mm -hmm. I would ask the questioner to ask yourself, why are you really asking this question? Is it because you want to smoke with your boys or your friends? Um, or is it you genuinely want to know and and do you really need to ask like what do you think right right uh ask ask your heart as the prophet said so i i avoid getting in these sorts of debates and i would just respectfully ask someone who's a, who's asked posing this question what is the intention behind the question that's going to re require some self-reflection and becoming uncomfortable but inshallah it will you know, you'll be able to see uh, why that is. So, Inshallah. you know, that's kind of where I would I would leave it with, with that. Subhanallah. Inshallah. Subhanallah. I'd like to, you know, tie it all in together, Inshallah, with a multi-layered uh, question. Uh, Subhanallah. I know addiction is so huge and <laughs> it's a topic that, you know, can't necessarily be all covered within an hour. Inshallah. That's why I hope to, Inshallah, have you in the future. Uh, hopefully. Inshallah. We'd love to have you here on Talk Yahab again. Uh, but I'd like to ask you, what is your message to those families who have relatives, right, who are struggling with addiction? What do you say to the person who themselves are child with addiction, right? They're in this stage of what you talked about, which is relapse and recovery and back and forth and back and forth. They're stuck in this endless cycle, losing hope. And what do you say to the ummah at large who see this from the outside? Uh, can you tie that all in together, inshallah? Sure. So <clears throat> for the addict, I would remind you of the hadith of the companion of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Abdullah, 
um, who was known to make the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam laugh. Um, and what a beautiful relationship to have with the Prophet ﷺ, who is constantly uh, facing pressures uh, and, and difficulties to be able to have the relationship with him that you made him laugh and gave him some relief from that. But he also was constantly penalized for drinking. Mm. And uh, one time, uh, one of the companions, while he was getting the punishment for drinking, you know, invoked Allah's curse on him. And said, you know, how many times are we going to keep doing this? You just drink, you come back, you drink, you come back. Basically relapsing. And the Prophet said, He said, don't curse him because he loves Allah and his messenger. And in one version he said, don't help shaitan against your brother. I mean, that's deep right there. That is incredible. So he didn't say ameen. He didn't invoke further curse upon uh, this companion. And, and he said, look, look at the whole person. And, and the Prophet always, when he violated the code, he got the penalty. The Prophet did not ever say it's okay to drink. Astaghfirullah. He didn't say, oh, I'm going to go easy on him, you know, because he kind of makes me laugh. No, he never did that. He, had, he knew the boundaries that Allah set. But he also was showing us, you know, human beings are complex. And we can't just take one thing that they do. So let's kind of do, what can we do about it? So to that person struggling, you know, this was, uh, you're not the first person to do it. Uh, there are many others out there struggling. And if you have had the courage to say that I have this problem, then inshallah, this is the first step. And Allah is the one ultimately who will get you out of this, but he gave you mediums, such as someone you trust, uh, you know, someone you can go to, to help you with that, inshallah. So we know you've made your tawbah because you have that regret and you're coming. And then inshallah, this is a step to kind of get you there. For those who are watching and, oh, I don't have a problem, uh, mm. think about the impact you're having on yourself, on your family. And that's an honest conversation you need, to, you need to have with yourself. Because how many more hours, years are you going to let go by where everyone's in misery around you? So that's what I would say to those who are kind of involved. Um, to the families, I would say, look, it's okay to be upset. It's okay to feel disappointed. It's okay to be sad about what's happening. But ultimately lashing out and taking your frustrations out on the person in your family with this addiction is not going to help them. It's not going to make things how they were before. Um, it might even destroy them. They need your help and support as much as anything. Nobody is saying that you accept the behavior they did. Nobody is saying that they don't have to make amends for what they've done. Nobody is saying that. But what we're saying is, their chances of improving are greatly uh, increased by your support. It means a lot. Saying things like, I cut you off, is not helping anybody. Saying things like, how could you do this? We gave you everything. That might make you feel better, but it's just adding to the problem. So this is a test uh, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us. but 
our goal is to pass this test. And so we can start by offering support. Now, if you have in the past really lashed out and you know, kind of really been, just go up and look, I, I, I'm disappointed. I'm saddened by what's happened. I know I've said things and I regret saying some of those things, but I just, I hope you understand how I feel because I care about you. If I didn't care about you, I wouldn't say any of those things. But I certainly want to take some of those things back that I said that were hurtful and let's move forward in this together. And we're here to support you. That can be uh, just a crucial step. So realize to ultimately help the person that you love and care about, it's going to require your support, not pushing away. And to the ummah at large, um, addictions are real. They exist. They're present. From every, every addiction we spoke about happens in the Muslim community, whether it's buried and underground in a Muslim country or it's buried and underground in the U.S. or it's open or whatever it is, it exists. So denying it is not going to help us. Uh, setting up support groups, centers, training therapists, that's the direction we should be moving into. Because by us recognizing that, inshallah, we can prevent a whole lot of things from happening. Imagine if we could talk to 10-year-olds about the harms of pornography before they get on the internet or about um, you know, sixth graders about being offered drugs, just having those conversations. But if we're saying, no, how can we talk about that in the masjid? Astaghfirullah. That is adding to the problem. So we can be part of the solution, inshallah. We can help those struggling now. And, you know, because everybody's always like, oh, what's going to happen with the future? That's how we can help with the future, inshallah, by mm -hmm. opening it up and talking about what really happens. Otherwise, you're just getting a glamorized picture in social media and through media in general. And that's not the kind of picture we want to paint because that message, they're going to get that message. So might as well get it from us. Um, and we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect us and, and help all those families Ameen. and individuals struggling in their addiction. Amen. Amen. Jazakallah khair for that reminder, subhanAllah. And I think, you know, first and foremost, I benefited uh, tremendously uh, from this discussion with you. And, and alhamdulillah, I know that this will be a source of benefit uh, from many out there. Inshallah, uh, before we let you go, I want to ask you, where can people reach out to you and connect with you? Inshallah, if that is possible, inshallah. Sure. So I have, I do online, um, what I call spiritual consulting for various issues, families, individuals. That's drohcounseling.com. Um, if, uh, you know, if you want to, for consultations or for, for individual sessions and things like that. Um, I am kind of busy, so I'm not as active on Instagram and social as I'd like to, but I've made the intention. So maybe one day I'll, I'll push forward with that, hopefully sooner rather than later. Um, but that would also be a place to connect, inshallah. Inshallah, inshallah. Anyways, thank you all for listening on this episode of Talk Ya Haq. Uh, make sure you guys go ahead and like, share, and subscribe. And uh, we'll see you guys on next week's episode. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.